Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. My name is James Shimo. I'm your host for the day, and I hope you guys are doing well. It is Memorial Day here in the U.S. Hope everyone's having a decent holiday. I am joined by a good friend of mine. He hasn't been on in a while, but I'm glad he is back. He is the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, how's it going, man? How you been? I'm pretty good, actually. Uh, you know, I, of course, you know, it's been a while since we talked, it's like, what? You told me New Year's. Yeah, it's been but, a couple months. Uh, yeah, but in, other than that, with the, uh, you know, with the whole situation that's been happening with everybody, uh, I'm still holding out very well. Uh, just looking to enjoy a good Memorial Day. Might try to get out of the house to see if I can see if there's any barbecue spots open, just so I can get some of that good old fashioned barbecue for Memorial Day. There you go. There you go. So, um, in regards to the whole situation in the world at large, obviously that had a lot to play in what went on with uh, Double or Nothing, which is the pay-per-view we're getting ready to talk about. Originally was scheduled to take place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. Obviously, they haven't reopened for business yet, so it actually took place from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, with a handful of folks just kind of smattered throughout the crowd. Um, But before we get into it, um, like I said, with regards to COVID, how are things going? Because I know you're out in California where I think a lot of things were like really heavily restricted. Are you guys still on like pretty heavy lockdown or are things kind of starting to open up a little bit again? Well, uh, it's kind of funny because I, I mean, at first we had like a big lockdown when the whole thing started and especially with my job, but then kind of around mid April, my job had got me back on payroll. So I was doing mainly just a lot of responsive calls. Just like I, I'd only leave the house unless, you know, it was deemed by work. Mm-hmm. And just recently, I'm starting to see that California is going to do like a bit of a soft trial to see, you know, for an adjustment for pretty much uh, like some bars, restaurants, and hotels, because that's mainly where my job operates. You know, I go to places, I handle uh, keg lines for draft beer. So while I'm still, even though technically I've been back to work, I'm it's mainly just been like a three or four hour kind of job. Next week, well, pretty much tomorrow. I'm pretty much going to be like going back on the eight hour, nine to five kind of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that that's, I'm glad to hear that things are getting back to some semblance of normal for you. They're starting to get back to normal a little bit around yeah. here. Uh, I obviously work as an educator. So I, you know, I still was on a payroll. I had a salary. I've been receiving my pay, paychecks pretty regularly. So it hasn't impacted me near as much, but I am glad to hear that that impact is starting to get mitigated for certain other folks who weren't as lucky. So uh, it's a relief to hear that. All right. Well, a couple other things I do want to get into here in just a second are honestly some of the sadder things that have come out over the last number of days in regards to the world of pro wrestling. The first of all being the tragic passing of Shad Gaspard, one half of crime time uh, from the back in the, mid to late 2000s, um, really fun duo. The guy had a really good personality. After everything that happened with him happened, um, you know, you just saw so many people come out in support of his family and telling all these stories. Not a, not a bad word was found to be said about Shad Gaspard. So it is very, very moving to see that there are good people who exist in the pro wrestling industry, especially today. We know that uh, thanks to Dark Side of the Ring and other programs, there have been some shady individuals who have participated yeah. in the pro wrestling business. But it's good to see that some good eggs are out there and that they do exist. Um, but for those I of you, I 100% agree. 
agree. Uh, yeah. When I heard of Shad, when I heard what happened with Shad Gaspar, especially the fact that it happened around the California coast, I was definitely uh, taken taken aback by it. I mean, it was. It, I mean, it, unfortunately, it was just like a freak occurrence. I mean, it was something that was out of his control. But at, at least in the reports, you know, when I heard it was him and his son out there, I really. As sad and as tragic as that was, I mean, at least it's good to know that when the whole thing went down, he thought first, he always put his son before his own personal health. And even every article and report I read, they all said the same thing. He made sure that the rescuers got to his son first before they got to him. Mm-hmm. He did the he did the parental thing. I mean, and, to, and for that kid to lose his father, I have been in this situation before. Because uh, personally, even though... I wasn't his age, but when my, my dad had diabetes when I was in high school and when he passed, and then when I was starting my sophomore year of uh, college, his condition started getting worse. And right, uh, right, right around the start of 2008, he went unfortunately into a bit of like a, a seizure that was fell him into a coma. And before the end of January, we had to, we had to take him off life support. And I've seen this situation. And of course, it's nothing compared to what the kid is, what, it, what Shaq Gaspar's son's going through. But I do understand what it's like losing a father, especially when you're definitely not ready for it. And he's de- and I know he's got, not only does he got the support of his mom, his loved ones, and Shaq Gaspar's friends, but he's also got this huge wrestling community to be there for him. Because that's what's going to help get him through, especially during this, uh, especially when he starts growing up. You know, he meets wrestling fans, they're going to tell stories about Shaq Gaspar. That's always, I hope that's a good comfort for him in times because it, it's going to be a rough time getting over the death of a parent, especially when there is a lot you wanted to accomplish and have them witness. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just about to bring it up that even though, like I said, there it is a very sad tale. It is a very uplifting tale and a tale of heroism when you find out that he wanted to make sure his son was taken care of. So um, I saw what uh, Brian Zane had to say about Shad and he said, you know, he died a hero's death and I can only hope that, you know, one day I have the the good fortune to kind of go out that way being a hero to my child. So, you know, I I can kind of echo those sentiments and I, I I would hope that put in that same situation I would do the same thing when it came to any of my kids. So um now onto a slightly less uplifting story, the story of uh, another professional wrestler who sadly passed away, Hana Kimura. Um, this one is decidedly less uplifting in, in part of the circumstances. In fact, it's even more damning of the world at large and what we have reduced ourselves to. Hana Kimura is a, was a Japanese professional wrestler who I will say I was not privileged to see anything that she really did. I wish that I had. But she sadly took her own life as a result of cyberbullying. We've, and especially in this COVID situation where all anybody can do is keep themselves shut up in their houses any more than they already are and just use the internet as an outlet for their hatred and their vitriol and their negativity. Sadly, this is the result. And, you know, I'm going to go on a rant here for a little bit. For those of you out there who think that your life is so so goddamn miserable that you feel the need to put down anybody and everybody and text them stuff like your garbage go away why the hell were you born anything like that 
I hope to God somebody makes you feel that shitty to where you feel the need to take your own life because that is what you did. This woman did absolutely nothing to you. I guarantee you half of the people who messaged her that shit hadn't spoken one word to her in public. Had never even bothered to meet her to look, look into her you know, background and know what she was about. Because everything that I have read about this young lady is that she was nothing but a sweetheart. And for you to go out of your way to make her feel as miserable and dejected and just downright disgusted with herself the way you you probably feel when you look at yourself in the mirror every morning, fuck you. She did nothing to you. She did not deserve this. You're a piece of shit. Congratulations. You wanted her to go away. Now she has permanently. And that blood is on your hands, and I hope to God you rot in hell when Judgment Day comes. Yeah, there is nothing... I mean, well, I, I too have not been very familiar with Hana Kimura. I mean, I've only seen maybe like a couple of photos of her when uh, from stardom that wrestling fans would post on Instagram or on a few Reddit posts. I, there is a video... I mean, there is one video on YouTube that I have on my watch list of the G1 Supercard from Ring of Honor that I was told she didn't match in. I've not gotten to that yet, but when I saw that news and then the situations, yes, I'm in the same feelings of you are. I mean, I just want to explode. I mean, I'm sick and tired of this. Uh, it, and you know what? I don't even want to use COVID as a situation. Ever since I became, ever since like during my days of high, late high school, going into college when social media started getting rampant. This, I, the, the notion of cyberbullying pisses me off to where people, it doesn't matter what living situation you are, no matter how bad you think your life is, there's always somebody out there that has it worse than you or someone who is just not as tough, I'm doing air quotes here, who's just not as tough as you think you are. I'm sorry, but if you think your release in life is just to go online anonymously and just download all of your anger and insecurity into somebody you know nothing about, don't understand what their life has been, has never walked through their shoes, you need to shut up. Because currently, right now, I have a good friend of mine, and uh, we, we I mainly talked with her a couple times online, and we met only once in person, but she's already going through something of a situation of her own, and I don't want to go into more details about it. But right now she's had she's dealing with so much stress that the best thing I can do is just be an open ear for her, just to just let out her emotions, to let out her anger, and just be that, you know, just be that friend to have a hand on her shoulder and let her know everything's okay. That's the role that I'm choosing right now. And in situations like this with Hanukkah reminds me that those people, no matter doesn't matter. And I don't and here's one thing to borrow out of a stupid dumb-ass president we have, there's no good sides on this situation. If you bully someone online and you think it's funny or thinks it makes yourself, it makes you, it makes yourself feel better, you are not a good person. I don't care if you regret it later on. You should not have acted on those impulses in the first place. It's one of the reasons why we have these, it's one of the reasons why we have things like morality and uh, chivalry and honor amongst ourselves because we don't want to be like that. And to those, yes, you do that blood is on your hands. The fact that you think bullying her, wanting her off TV. No, okay? And yeah, 22 years old. 22! I mean, what the fuck? We already have a situation where many young children and many adults are dealing with a serious issue with COVID right now. They can't leave the house. They can't touch anybody. They can't even, you know, do a simple face-to-face -face with people because of fear, because of their immune systems. And even those with preconceived with preconditioning health disorders. I am sick and tired of people thinking that they have the right 
to make everybody feel worse than they do. If you don't like your situation, change it. Don't put your anger out on anybody else. I, I mean, this is a rare situation where I wish, I wish I had taken the more initiative to learn more about stardom and Joshi wrestling. And then possibly if situations like that, I could have been one of those fans. Maybe. It may, I don't know if it would make a difference, but I wish I could have been one of those fans to tell her, don't listen to them. You have fans here in the U.S. You have fans across the world that love what you do. It's this, it, oh my God, it's so goddamn frustrating. Yeah. I mean, everything that you've said, I agree with tenfold. It's just, you know, and that's the, that's the problem with, you know, social media and the internet as at whole is it gives everyone a voice. But on the bad side of things, it gives everyone, even the worst of society, a voice. And unfortunately, they don't see themselves this way. But I will go ahead and say it. You people who do this kind of thing to innocent young ladies who probably have some image issues of their own already and don't need you piling on top of them to go ahead and do this to where somebody feels the need, a human being, someone who is just as worthy of life as you or I, decides to take their own life because you decided you didn't like them and you wanted to make them feel like shit, congratulations, you officially succeeded. I hope you're proud of yourself, you stupid dicks. And James, I do want to add one thing. I know we... Both of us, as wrestling fans, we also meet other wrestling fans in circles, and we say that we don't like a certain wrestler or we don't like the way they're booked. We're only talking about, and I believe me and you, we're only talking about how they're being used in the direction of a company. We're never talking about how they're perceived on television. We're never trying to attack their own personal images. We just attack what the company like uses them for. Exactly. And I mean, and it just I can think of one in particular that I'm sure you and I both agree with. Baron Corbin. I can't stand the guy. I think he's annoying. I think he's absolutely... It's ridiculous that he still has a spot and he's featured on my TV as prominently as he is. That doesn't mean I want him to go hang himself. It just means I don't like his character and I don't like the way he's being booked. It has nothing to do with him as a person. I'm sure he's just a... He's a fine person in real life. Because I've seen him on Up, Up, Down, Down. He seems like an okay guy. But I'm just tired of seeing him on TV the way that he is. That's all I've ever and, talked about. I would never encourage him to go slit his own wrists or anything like that or put a gun in his mouth. That's not what I'm advocating for. Yeah, and also, we, from our last talk, I talked about how last year I was not a big fan of Charlotte Flair and how she's being used. And even now, this year, I don't like how she's being used as well. But that doesn't mean I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search her Twitter account. I'm going to find her personal uh, social medias and go, you are the worst wrestler in the world. I hope you die. I want you off TV no matter how much – no matter how much I despise how WWE is using her, that – this is nothing personally about Charlotte. This is just about that as a story, as someone who is a fan of storytelling, I want to see Charlotte's character go through kind of like a ringer where it's give and take, not where she's always getting something. That's just my, that's just an objective standpoint when it comes to storytelling. Personally, and I've heard, and I've heard stories about her personally. She is one of the sweetest people you will talk to. She has said in interviews amongst wrestling personalities and wrestling uh, pundits like uh, Steve Lars, Stephen Larson, that she's not like her character on TV. 
She is complete. She knows how to separate the business from her personal life. And when it comes to those people out there that can't see that, that difference, it's those people that like to say wrestling is fake, refuse to see that there is a line, there is a divide between the wrestler and the person, just when it comes to musicians. I mean, sure, with musicians and actors, that line can blur at times, but ultimately, when you're an athlete, there's a difference between how you are on the field or on stage or in the ring than how you are in your real life. The moment those lines become blurred by fans or by the athletes themselves is when things really, really get money. But even then, I still would not wish an athlete or a person on their worst day to want to slit their wrist, put a gun in their mouth, or kill themselves through pit overdose of pills. You have to be... At a, you have to be a very disturbed person or someone who really hates themselves to think that that is going to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like I said, with social media and the increased isolation that all of us are feeling, I think those worst instincts have even more cause to rear their ugly heads than they did previously. However, like I said, we're not going to spend too much more time on this. We do have a pay-per-view to review, but uh, for those of you who did who were did participate in this cyberbullying and decided to force this young lady over the edge. Uh, congratulations. There is a depraved, absolutely brutal circle of hell waiting for you when you die. Hope to yeah. hope you have some fun. In any case. Hey, Jim, yeah. Wait, James, before we get in, before we start, there was also, I came across a post, and trust me, this is not as dour, but I came across an article where Alexa Bliss uh, got some cyberbullying herself. And this was mm-hmm. from a fan who had talked about her, uh, the way she's portrayed on TV, and he said this line, I think it was a tweet, where he said on his personal video when he was reviewing, he thinks, he compared Alexa's in-ring ability to her in bed. Like, she would just sit there and do nothing and take it. But fortunately, Alexa Bliss responded back by saying she would always ignore bullshit like this, but when it comes to this guy, she knows that this man was not only out of line, but he clearly was, you know, and a complete asshole. And hopefully, anybody out there who are fans of Alexa Bliss, please show your support to her. Because right now, we don't... I mean, I'm not saying Alexa... I don't know Alexa. I can't judge her emotional uh, temperament. I just know that when it comes to wrestlers, when they're attacked, if you are a fan of that certain wrestler, please go show your support to them. Especially with women during these days. With with the, the, the hoops and obstacles they have to climb in every wrestling company, just so they can actually be seen on the same level as men. Just for another man all of a sudden to go, oh, I guess her in-ring ability is just like her in bed. She's, she's no good. No. I, 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 that is a zero tolerance in my mind. That is just zero tolerance. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. I did not hear about the story. I didn't read anything about it, but from everything that you've just mentioned... Morning. Yeah, based on everything you just mentioned, yeah, I'm glad Alexa tore into this. And uh, let me go ahead and be very, very clear. Uh, I don't know Alexa Bliss personally. I've never talked with her. I've never interacted with her. Um, Would I love to meet her at some opportunity and let her know, hey, we're not all a bunch of douchebags like the people who come out of the woodwork to criticize her online? I would love to, but all I can do is offer words of support and say, uh, Alexa Bliss, if you're listening, I doubt that you are, but I hope that things turn around for you. That guy's an asshole. He is absolutely out of line. And believe me, none of us true wrestling fans would ever criticize you in that way. All right. So with that out of the way, let us go ahead and move on to Double or Nothing, emanating from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. Ryan, overall, what did you think of this show? I personally 
I really enjoyed it. There were a few things that felt kind of clunky at, at the beginning and then sometime in the middle. But overall, I thought it was an enjoyable show and a great piece of escapism for this, you know, COVID-19 generation of wrestling. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this show as well. I mean, there was a lot of expectations going into it, not just for, you know, AW. I mean, mainly for AW because... For a while, I mean, we've seen through Dynamite and Dark that they've been that they've shown how to put on wrestling shows with an empty crowd in, you know, having the wrestlers there. And even now, they've been stepping it up now. They're because uh, in some Dynamite shows, they're actually starting to get small crowds of people in the audience. Those who have been, you know, tested negative for COVID, obviously, or those wearing masks. And as we saw today, with and as we saw with Double or Nothing, other than the uh, fr- uh, the wrestlers around the ring in the back, like among mid area. There were people watching the show, so AEW is at least making progress steps to having to getting audiences back into to having audience crowds in wrestling, and I appreciate that progress. And it definitely showed. And yeah, there were some uh, misses, some ups and downs in this match, in, in certain matches. Some were sloppy, others kind of um, you know looked like it. Would, some some wrestlers didn't look like they gelled together, but. All in all, I love this show. Uh, uh, we'll get more into the matches later on, but I think overall this was a great program, a great pay-per-view, and I can't wait to see what AEW will give us like at the next one. Right. Yep. Well, in any case, let's go ahead and get right into it. On the buy-in pre-show, we had the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent, going up against Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn. Um, there was a great moment in this match where... Private Party hit the G9, which obviously was a throw-up to Shad Gaspard. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, one or both of them had armbands that had SG written on them. So I thought that was a nice little tribute to a a fallen brother-in-arms, if you will. Um, Overall, this was a decent match. But one thing I will say is that I think Private Party showed a lot more ring rust than I think they wanted to in this match. Yeah, unfortunately, I do agree with that. Um, it was clear that Private Party, who's mainly who are very good at fast-paced wrestling, even when they do their own like a uh, double team with like the silly string, or whenever they have uh, situations where, well, pretty much whenever they do double team moves, it was showing in this match that unfortunately the rust is there. They're not in sync. They were not in sync with each other or with any of the other wrestlers like Trent or Chucky e. T. Mm-hmm. But they still were doing their best. Uh I mean, this is one of the few matches on the card I was willing to let slide because of the whole COVID situation. And uh, ultimately, I hope that Private Party will still get more opportunities. I know they're going to get more opportunities to wrestle. I just hope we can see them more on TV other than them being in the crowd or when they're on BTE. Right. Obviously, with a lot of the rosters, you know, feeling the need to you know, take a step back and observe quarantine and things like that. And those who don't live in Florida, obviously, even those who maybe do probably feel better, you know, staying at home than taking the risk or anything like that. And again, unfortunately, because of that, it shows that private party haven't been getting in the ring as much as they probably would like to, because like you said, the timing on the silly string was off. That tornado DDT to Trent was weird because he landed really awkwardly. Both guys landed really awkwardly. Um, you know, the more one of the more interesting portions of the match was when Trent lost his headband, got it back, and then lost it again. So it's just like, what in the hell? But in the end, the best friends do hit the strong zero. 
in order to win the match and become the number one contenders to the AEW World Tag Team Championships. I don't think this was all that surprising, considering the best friends are the ones who have been on TV the most consistently throughout all this COVID stuff, so it only makes sense that they would give them the win here in order to be those number one contenders. Now, that being said, I still don't think they have a chance in hell of taking those titles off of Hangman and Kenny, but who knows, depending on where the fallout from the Stadium Stampede match goes, which we'll get to a little bit later, uh, we will see exactly what pans out from that. And who knows, maybe that could be the catalyst for a Best Friends AEW World Tag Team title run. Who knows? Yeah, I, I was actually kind of, uh, going into this, I was actually going for Private Party because, I mean, I'm not, as an AEW fan of all, I mean, I was also watching BTE, and BTE, they've had this storyline with Private Party and Hangman Page before COVID, and it was continuing even during that time. So I was, even though Best Friends, were, they were on TV a lot, and they have won more matches, and they were a better ranked team, I just thought when I was looking at the storyline-wise, it made more sense with Private Party because of this whole thing that they've been building with Hangman. And even though Hangman himself have not been on TV, but they carried it through on BTE, but it's understandable that not many fans were watching BET to understand that storyline and probably see the logic to why Private Party would be the number one contenders. Hopefully, when they get more TV time, we'll see that opportunity for Private Party themselves to get a title shot. And then we'll get to see some of the storylines from BTE carry into Dynamite. Yeah, and I think I think that is important to keep in mind, is that I do not think for a second that this is going to be the last time Private Party have an opportunity to become number one contenders or even potentially have those AEW World Tag Team titles because, honestly, they're a very talented group. But, again, because of the fact that they've been off TV for so long, they maybe haven't gelled as much as, you know, getting back in the ring as they would have liked to. I think giving them time to build themselves back up to get their credibility back, and especially with even with best friends, even if they can't get the job done, who's to say that uh, the Lucha Bros and Pac aren't going to get involved to cost them that match and keep that death triangle story going, that feud going with those, well, with those three as well. There's also the team. Uh, there's also the you know the newly formed alliance of Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian, who have been having their issues with best friends on Dynamite. They that can also be as a well. factor as well. That's yep. why I thought Private Party would get because Private Party didn't have that many, uh, you know, uh, enemies to tangle with right. and best friends with. Well, that is true, but at the same time, I know for uh, the main reason that we haven't seen guys like Pac on television as of late is because they are obviously observing the quarantine and things like that. So, uh, yep. time remains to be seen, and especially with one individual in particular who we're going to get ready to talk about in this next match. Uh, that time off may be a little longer than he would like. In any case, the next matchup on the show proper, the very first match on the actual show, is the casino ladder match for the future shot at the AEW World Championship. Um, I did not realize that they were going to be running this like a Royal Rumble ladder match. Um, I didn't know that going into this, but I think that's cool that they added that little wrinkle on top of it. As soon as I realized that that was the way that they were running things, it's like, oh, we're not going to see who this mystery guy that they've been hyping up is until the very end of the match. And... Lord knows I was right. Um, But in any case, we start off. So the way this worked is there were nine men involved. Two men started in the ring. Every two minutes thereafter, a new guy entered as long as the match hadn't ended by that point. So all was good. Starting off, we had uh, we were supposed to have the following people involved. Darby Allen, Colt Cabana, Orange Cassidy, Scorpio Sky, Kip Sabian, 
uh, Frankie Kazarian, Luchasaurus, and Ray Phoenix. However, unfor- uh, due to an injury that was sustained this last Wednesday on Dynamite, uh, unfortunately, Phoenix was not able to participate, and so Joey Janela was subbed in for Mr. Phoenix. So that, um, and then again, we had the ninth person to be determined, which turned out to be a heck of a surprise, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself on this occasion. So starting off in the ring for this match, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian drew number one and two. These two, even though we knew like this could easily go, both of them climb the ladder, they both unhook it, whoever ends up with it on uh, in their possession when they hit the ground, you know, it's a win for SCU. But that would have been the cheap way to do it. They did not take that route. Uh, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian got to show off their competitive sides and really, really tore the house down with each other early on in the uh, exchange. Then I believe uh, third out is Kip Sabian, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was Kip Sabian. Yeah. He was next. He ended up taking uh, out both Sky and uh, uh, Kazarian, along with uh, Jimmy Havoc by his side. Penelope Ford made her presence known, both here and a little bit later. Uh, but the two of them basically were teeing off on SCU until uh, the timer went off again. This time, uh, I believe... Was it Darby Allen? Yeah, Darby Allen came out at yeah, this stage. Yeah, Darby Allen came out at this stage. He ended up trying to knock out a lot of people. I believe he had Kip Sabian laid out on the ladder, climbed another. I think it was Kazarian. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, it was Kazarian. It was Kazarian. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, at one no, point. I understand they're, they're, they're easily confusable, especially through when I was watching a couple of uh, pundits review the match. Uh, I, I, I was able to get a chance to rewatch it. Yeah, that was a Kazarian out there. Right. Well, that's the thing is Kazarian's got hair now, and I'm, I've, I've been so used to seeing him bald-headed. I was like, what the hell? But in any case, yes, uh, Kazarian gets laid out over a ladder. Uh, uh, Darby Allen climbs another much taller ladder with skateboard in hand, goes to drop in on top of Kazarian. Kazarian moves. Allen goes through the ladder, tumbles to the floor, and sells a leg injury. I thought for sure yeah. he'd snapped his leg. I thought he was pulling yeah. a Sid Vicious and snapped his leg. I thought the same damn thing, too. I saw one leg go through one of the rungs. I thought, holy shit, Priscilla Kelly was not going to be happy about this. Nope. And which was hilarious, too, because while I was watching the stream, I just happened to check on Instagram and saw in a story Priscilla Kelly was in attendance dirt, was in the audience at Daly's place. So I thought, oh, that's going to be a funny wrinkle. Yep. But yeah. That was scary as hell. Yeah, speaking uh, of speaking of the audience at Daly's place, a wild Vicky Guerrero showed up. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Vicky Guerrero. <laughs> yep. But in any case, um, so you know the fallout from that is all taking place. Number five in, I believe, was Joey Janella. It was Orange. No, Cassie. it was Orange Cassidy. I'm sorry. Sorry, I, I wish I had some notes written down for these. I, I meant to take notes, but unfortunately, it slipped my mind. So Orange Cassidy comes out next, and the whole story of this match is. Orange Cassidy's trying to win while expending the least amount of effort possible. Doesn't want to set up the ladder. Doesn't want to bother opening the damn thing. Doesn't want to climb. Tries to stand on a ladder that's laying on the floor and reach up in order to grab the damn poker chip that's hanging above the ring. That was hysterical. I about I I damn near wet myself like three different times watching Orange Cassidy just and in no hurry to get into the ring either. Like he stopped by the commentary table talking with Excalibur. It's like so how do I win this damn thing again? And it, it was it was hysterical. Jr. I, I swear Jr. was apoplectic watching Orange Cassidy try to compete in this match. But in any case, uh, Cassidy gets in the ring. 
uh, tries to set everything up. Uh, timer goes off. Colt Cabana's in. You know, Cabana takes advantage, you know, tries taking advantage to get up the ladder. Eventually, he is knocked off of the ladder while still holding on to it into the corner, and the ladder closes on his fingers. That looked like it hurt. I've shut my hand in the car door before, and that some bitch hurts. And I know la- landing on your back and having a ladder just snap closed like that can't feel good. Yeah, I've had a door closed on my fingers, and that that is like, oh my god. Yep. So that is, in that situation, especially falling like from uh, five feet and into a corner. Ooh, I, re- I really hope that he doesn't have any nerve damage in his fingers. Let's hope not. Let's hope this isn't a Stephen Strange situation. Um, in any case, next out after the timer goes off is Joey Janela. He's immediately in there taking out everybody, but especially going after Kip Sabian. We know that feud isn't 100% over yet. Everybody's brawling. Eventually, the timer goes off again. It's Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus starts cleaning house. And at this point, I was like, all right, Luchasaurus needs to win this match because I, I want to see a Luchasaurus push for the heavyweight title at some point. Because can you imagine what kind of match it would be like with Luchasaurus versus Mox? Yes. Or, God, I've been wanting to see Luchasaurus being pushed since uh, full, I mean, before full gear. Yeah. But, I kind of, but I'm guessing maybe because of the size situation or uh, maybe he's had like some traveling issues or maybe some uh, injury scares. I mean, I don't know the situation with Luchasaurus, but I do know whenever he pops with Jungle Jurassic Express in the crowd, especially on that damn Jericho cruise, he oh, yeah. was a huge pop. He was a huge pull. So yeah, possibly yeah. we'll get to see Luchasaurus for a title run or heck, maybe in a certain few that we will get to soon. Yep, absolutely. Of course, uh, like I said, you were absolutely right. On the Jericho cruise, Luchasaurus was over like Rover. He was a huge, huge fan favorite, so hopefully that means good things for him in the future. Well, in any case, like I said, Luchasaurus cleans house, starts to set up a ladder, the timer runs down, and we hear Taz give the introduction, who can stop the path of Cage? Brian Cage has officially arrived in All Elite Wrestling, the muscle-bound, jacked-up Wolverine wannabe, and I, I say that in the best possible way, by the way. Like, this guy comes in and just starts annihilating everybody. And you see Luchasaurus trying to go for choke slams, and he's spinning out of them. And just all the, the work that he has done since his days in Lucha Underground to be able to be where he is right now is just fantastic to see. Uh, eventually, he gets taken to the outside and dumped under a bunch of bric-a-brac, whether it's barricades, giant poker chips that it, they're acting like is, are heavier than they already are. Uh, everybody starts brawling again at one point. I know um, Janela has, I think, uh, who did he have? Was it Orange Cassidy he had in the fireman's carry? And then did like a burning yeah, hammer yes. kind of thing to the outside where he landed on the poker chip? Yeah. Oh, wait, we should also ta- touch on Brian Cage when he showed up. He had like a ladder in his hand and he just ripped it apart. Yep, just, you know, just ripped it in half. And then also when he was, you know, after his after he was clearing the ring, when he was climbing the ladder, we, Orange Cassidy was on him. Like a freaking like a parrot or like a monkey. Yeah. And then Kate started climbing down. I was laughing my ass off. I'm thinking, if Orange Cassidy wins by climbing on Brian Cage, that is the most Orange Cassidy I've ever seen in my life. But then it led to the whole everybody gains up on Cage. Yeah. But no, like literally in that moment I thought, if Orange Cassidy grabs this thing, we're gonna have another Otis situation here. I was like, Okay. <laughs> I would have I would have been absolutely fine with that, but no, it eventually led into that. But eventually 
Cage makes his way out from underneath all of the rubble, just cleans house, starts annihilating everybody, and including poor Darby Allen, who finally managed to get his way back into the match, ends up laying Darby over a freaking ladder that is propped up on the the, the turnbuckles, picks up ladder and Allen all at the same time, hoys it out of the ring and into a, the other big ladder that was set up on the outside, then eventually climbs the ladder, grabs the poker chip. What a way for Brian Cage to debut, winning the casino ladder match and a future opportunity at the AEW World Championship. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, from what I was reading, that match will happen at Fighter Fest this year. I believe that they are making, they are doing that again. The uh, association with CEO is still going, and they will be having that match at Fighter Fest uh, with uh, Brian Cage finally being able to take on the AEW champion, which is something that we will not disclose here because we don't want to spoil the result of the previous of the championship match later on tonight. Yeah, I will say though. Um yeah, I mean, honestly, Kate, I did not expect it was going to be a new signee as a mystery guy. I thought it was just going to be another AEW competitor. Because, to be honest, as much as I love AEW bringing in talent that have been underutilized in companies or were on the rise, it felt to me that it was at this time they needed to focus on really getting their own over. And I, I kind of, I speculated that maybe we would have seen, I had three guesses on my head. One, my first guess it was going to be possibly um, a wild appearance. Maybe a Jericho. Maybe it was going to be Jake Hager, just for shits and giggles. My second thought was it was going to be uh, Pineapple Pete. And then my last thought was going to be maybe Pac, because Pac did that little dynamite promo, so maybe he could have gotten clearance to come to uh, Florida Jacksonville to be a part of this. But I still had no issues with Brian Cage being there. And yeah. also with Brian Cage, there is a... It, we do have like some mini feuds set up here, as we saw in this matchup. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity of a hoss fight between him and Luchasaurus. There's also a setup with Darby Allen that we've seen through Dynamite that Taz tries to uh, mentor Darby Allen. Darby Allen says no, so there's a feud there. And then also we got this big fight with Moxley. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this because you got to figure building up to the match with Moxley, he can have individual one on one matches with all the guys in this in this ladder match, like him against Kazarian, him against Sky, him against Luchasaurus, Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, uh, Joey Janela, Orange Cassidy, Colt Cabana, Darby Allen. He can have individual matches with all eight of those guys, tear the house down, really build him up as a monster, like just an absolute destructive force. And then who knows? See what happens when you turn him loose against uh, whoever the AEW champion is in the end. So, um, oh, I think I, I think I may have spoiled that. Yeah, life. I think you did, but I'm I, oh, I'm I'm still trying to keep kayfabe. Me. Damn it! That's on me. All that's right, on me. but in any case, um, the point is is that there, you're right. There is a a wealth of talent that he can have just absolute standout matches with. And I'm gonna be honest, I like the idea of putting him with Taz because we didn't mention this. Taz came out with him. He had his orange towel in his hand. You know, and JR all night, just whenever they brought up Brian Cage, he's like, well, what's the relationship with Taz like? And I'm like, that's going to be a big story thread and everything like that. So I like putting him with Taz. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of what he did in Impact to know what kind of a promo he is. So to put him with somebody like Taz, who we know is a great promo guy, who we know can talk, 
and who we know can talk people into the building and sell a match, I think is a great choice. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, I do like that. And also, as much as I do enjoy Taz on commentary at times, I do think that he worked great as either a manager or as a mouthpiece for somebody. Even though Brian Cage, he can talk, I think pairing him with Taz is great because then we can have situations where Taz, he will be the front man. But when Brian Cage really has something to say, Cage will speak for himself. And at the same time, Taz is also a great opportunity to set up potential feuds as well, like we got with uh, with Darby Allen here from that little storyline piece from Dynamite. Or hell, Taz, just for the hell of it, can just say he has his eye on a few competitors. He's put a list out for Brian Cage to go after. And then, yeah, we can have those potential one-on-ones. And not just against the eight men in the ring, but with any of the wrestlers outside, like with Pineapple Pete, with uh, Austin from Gun Club, or mm-hmm. even with some of the heels, like with the Butcher or the Blade, or hell, with, with the librarian Peter Avalon, for Christ's yep. sakes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I could easily see him like coming in and squashing Peter Avalon, or even Marco Stunt. We know Marco Stunt's a bump machine. He'll sell for him like crazy. Oh, my God, we didn't even talk about Marco Stunt's role in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, which was insane. I mean, it's, it's Marco Stunt. Do we really expect any less? But... Yeah, I mean, he comes in to kind of give a hand to Luchasaurus uh, intermittently throughout this match. Gets destroyed for his efforts in the end. But again, that's kind of the purpose of someone like Marco Stunt in order to build sympathy for when his, you know, his running mates are able to actually stand up for him and all of that. So um, I'm not mad at it. And, you know, they use him effectively. Some people may not like him, Jim Cornette. But um, anyway, did I say that out loud? I don't care. The point is, is that Marco Stunt serves his purpose. So. All I will say is fuck Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette, I understand he's an old school way of thinking, but as far as I'm concerned, his recent comments regarding the wrestlers, he can go suck a dick. He can go uh, die in that little corner of the world he chooses to live in at this point. He's lost my respect as a wrestling pundit, and he's lost my respect as a person. All right, fair enough. Uh, All death threats can be sent to him through Louisville, Kentucky, courtesy of Ohio Valley Wrestling. Anyway, no, I'm kidding, but... The point is, yeah. is that we will go ahead and move on to our next match, which was one of my favorite matches on the night, uh, and that's saying something with a card that's stacked. MJF versus Jungle Boy. This was a really good match. I agree, 100%. I mean, you got so much... There was great storytelling, there was great selling, there was uh, limb work, you know, body part isolation that we don't really see that often. MJF keeps coming off looking like a dick which is great. Jungle Boy looks like the baby face fighting from underneath for the majority of the time. Uh, sick, sick, sick poison Rana from Jungle Boy onto MJF, onto the apron, and MJF sold it like death. I thought for sure, like, the lights were on, but nobody was home, it looked like, because th- every time they cut back to him laying on the floor, it didn't look like he blinked. Oh, that was a scary bit, though. Yeah, that, that was, was scary. That was scary, but overall, like I said, back and forth, just Overall, great stuff here. Um, again, MJF, just fantastic, fantastic heel work. At one point, selling like he tweaked his knee. You know, the doc comes in to take a look at everything. Aubrey's keeping Jungle Boy off of him. Jungle Boy turns around to go to the corner. MJF pops right up and just nails him. I mean, just great, great heel work by MJF. That reminded me of that Key and Pill football sketch. Oh, my God. Where the guy is, he feigns his injury so hard. He, like, dies, goes to heaven, and then comes back to score the winning goal. Yeah. I was like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) 
No, it was it was hilarious, and, and, and not even hilarious, but it was just so well done on the part of the heel, aka MJF. Um, you know, eventually, there's so many other great things that he that MJF does. At one point, Jungle Boy's climbing up top. Uh, MJF's laid out on the on the uh, the mat. He grabs onto Aubrey's leg. Aubrey's trying to pull away from him. She ends up grabbing onto the top rope and shaking it, which puts Jungle Boy, you know, crotches him up on the top rope. So now Aubrey's like, oh, yeah. damn it. Like, well, I can't do anything about it because it was technically my fault. And yeah, oddly enough, <laughs> yeah, and oddly enough, very little involvement from Wardlow in this match. Yeah, at first when I thought to myself, okay, I, I originally thought MGF would win through chicanery, either through cheating to win or with Wardlow involved. But the fact when he wards off, when he tells Ward, when he, he didn't even signal Wardlow to be involved in the match, or hell, I think at one point he actually tried to tell him to go to the back. That was insane. Yeah. I thought to myself, okay, MGF, you son of a bitch, you're going to do whatever you can to come up as the bad guy. Even outside of that little uh, fake injury, the uh, the situation with the you know groining uh, you know Jungle Boy on the ropes with assistance air quotes from Aubrey, I thought MJF would pull anything out of the book, but no, this was one hundred percent a wrestling match straight through. Yep, and it was honestly, I think it's one of the best matches I've seen MJF have in quite a long time. Yeah. Which kind of shows me that it was a smart, a very smart play to put Jungle Boy and MJF together in this match. Absolutely. While some people were because I know people were questioning why are these two fighting at double or nothing. Well, this performance here shows why they were fighting at double or nothing. It's not only to show MJF is a very good wrestler, and it's also to remind people of how good Jungle Boy is when he has a great opponent. And at the same time, this elevates two young talent from AEW that you can see as potential champions yep i am personally more than tickled to see where mjf goes throughout the rest of this year i i'm gonna call it before the end of the year mjf is gonna fight cody to take the tnt championship oops spoiler alert actually i have one higher i think mjf either by full gear or all out is going to challenge for the AEW championship that That's could be interesting but in any case, more, I agree. He will have a. He's either going to challenge or will have a belt by the end of the year. Yeah, he he has to, the end by the end of this year. He has to have at least a title reign to his name. Yes, but you know, let's keep moving forward. There, we can talk about this match as much as we want. Oh wait, actually, the finish too. What was, yeah, what did you think about that finish? I I actually really enjoyed the finish because. You know, it's 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 again MJF finding that back door, you know, finding that heelish way to sneak out a win, even though it might not be exactly you know what he wants it to look like to be a definitive win, you know, to solidify him as a as a you know a legitimate competitor. Lucking sometimes heels lucking their way into victories or you know sh- shenaniganing their way into wins. Is, is a good way because, again, it puts more sympathy on the babyface and really want makes you want to see that heel get his comeuppance in the end. So I was perfectly fine with it. Yeah, but at the same time, I think with MJF winning, this will not only push forward, but I think this would lead into something very – with Firefest happening, I think this would lead into a very interest of circumstances because what happened at Dynamite before, he 
absolutely destroyed Marco's stunt. He beat Jungle Boy. This leaves a wide open door for Luchasaurus now. Yep. And that'll be an interesting one to see if MJF can pull off a win against Luchasaurus without interference from Wardlow. That will really be a feather in his cap. Yes. And also, I would love to see a Wardlow and Luchasaurus match. Oh, absolutely. As much as I like him going up against opponents of MJF or a Trent size, I want to see at least one opportunity of of, uh, of uh, Luchasaurus going up against someone like Wardlow and now Brian Cage. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm into it. In fact, hell, I'll say probably sometime within the next two weeks, two to three weeks on Dynamite, we will get MJF and Wardlow versus Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. I see that too, yeah. Yep. Anyway... Let us go ahead and move on to the finals of the TNT Championship Tournament. Cody, the American Nightmare with Arn Anderson in his corner versus the Murderhawk Monster Lance Archer with Jake Roberts in his corner. Um, first of all, that belt is atrocious. I'm of a different opinion, man. I have seen that belt is not as bad as the as the unveiling of the Universal title. No, I'd put it more. I'd put it more on the level of the twenty four seven title. But with that said, I have seen what the belt was meant to look like. I believe they mentioned it either on commentary or at some point in the media scrum afterwards. It is not the yeah. It is not the official championship. It is a mock up that they had rushed done for the event itself. Eventually, there will be a better belt, a more complete title that. Cody will have going forward. It's just for right now, this is what they get, could get done in the short time frame that they had, which is fine. And at the same time, you had Mike Tyson there to present the bill. I mean, what are you yep. going to do? Just have him there? And no I'll be honest, honest. Mike, my, having Mike Tyson there was both a blessing and a curse. And then we'll get to that here yeah. in just a little bit. Because I believe at but, one point he, he was caught yawning on camera. At another point, he's cheering on Cody. At another point, he's like, Nad, put Arn Anderson out of here. It's like, pick a side, yeah. will you? I think Tyson just didn't give a shit, honestly. Right. Um, I mean, he was there for a paycheck, and that was about it. Let's be honest. Yeah. And I will say one thing about the belt. Yeah, I didn't like it. It's designed, even with the excuse, though. But at the same time, there are ways to have a red strap, a red leather belt look beautiful. I mean, we have the IWGP US belt. We got the NXT North American Championship. I, I know with the finished product, it's going to look great. And I still think that, even you know, with the finished product, there still could be some uh, intricate. They can still maybe add some coloring, or maybe have the red belt look a little darker, just to you know to really to really highlight the gold once you see the finished product. Heck, what I would have done, I would have made the if they really wanted to go with a red strap, I would have made it look segmented, almost like they're individual sticks of dynamite for a TNT championship. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that too because right now with the big TNT in the middle, I think we need more. We, we, think we need some more dimensions and at least, yeah, some areas in the middle of that belt to really put something there. Yeah, like maybe have some six of dynamite like underline the TNT and then maybe have some color around it to, to, to show an explosion, you know. So not only is it a TNT belt, but it also represents dynamite. Yeah. But in any case, uh, this was a solid match overall. I mean, honestly, we knew these guys were going to bring it. Cody always brings it with any match that he's in. We knew he was going to make Lance look like a beast, which he did. I mean, Lance, right from the get-go, hit his finish, and everybody thought it was going to be over really quick. Obviously, Cody kicked out, which was great. Um, You know, just so much great back and forth. You know, Cody going for that 
Uh, Cody Cutter early on, but just getting pounced out of the air by Archer was great. Um, Like, Archer literally just picking up and gorilla pressing Cody over his head and just throwing him out of the ring over that corner camera was a great visual. Like, there was just so much good stuff happening. They did tend to go out of the ring a little bit and get out into the middle of things to where the referee had to kind of follow along. But... Again, you can kind of make it the excuse that it's the first ever title match. We don't want it ending on a count out or a disqualification, so the referee's giving them a little leeway. You couldn't make yeah. that same excuse with the uh, AEW title match later on, which we will get to because that took me out of the match quite considerably. But yeah, that negative I have to put down on the on the on the card overall. Yeah, I know there was a lot of. There was a lot of brawls outside the ring, but there was definitely a lot. There was some mismanagement on the head of referees. If if there was, if I mean, if the matches are di- are done by referees' discretion, if they're decided by a referees' discretion, I can allow that. But if it's not stated through commentary, and we just think this is a straight through wrestling match, then something like what we saw with uh, MJF and Jungle Boy, what we're gonna see later, what we're gonna talk about later on with. Statlander and Ford, and then also with Cody and Archer, and later on with the AEW Championship, is kind of uh, not forgivable. Right, yeah. They're they're playing a little fast and loose with the rules here. And maybe the main reason they did it was, again, because of the whole COVID situation. They wanted to give them a more exciting product. But if that's the case, then just make every, all of the matches no countouts, no disqualifications or whatever. Because at least with the Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose match, that stipulation made sense. And there wasn't a leap in logic as to why the referee wasn't trying to get him back in the ring. Or nobody was counted out, or the bell hadn't rang on a number of different occasions. But, in any case. But overall, like I said, the match was great. At one point, Jake's starting to get involved. Arn Anderson's kind of coming in, trying to cut him off. Eventually, uh, Mike Tyson, you know, muscles up to both of them. Because Jake tries coming back out with Damian in hand, and Tyson's not having it. And Jake backs up, which I thought was great. Um, At one point... Uh, I think Archer had Cody... Or no, Archer was on the top rope. He was doing his tightrope walk. Arn Anderson gets up there to distract him and ends up uh, crotching Archer on the top rope while Jake has the referee distracted. Yeah. Jake tries to say something, and that's when Mike stooges on Arn. He's like, nah, get him out of here. He didn't need to be involved. But then, thankfully, to the, to the referee's credit in this situation, put Arn out of there, put Jake out of there too because Jake had got up there and got in his face. He wasn't allowing that to keep going, so at least give him credit on on that situation and recognizing what was going on. Yeah, true. I was kind of confused for a second. I thought this was another situation where the ref there was just there was another referee's discretion, but the moment and, and, and even still with Jake up on that ring, that was very confusing. I mean, that's your that that's Lance Archer. That's your boy on the ring about to do a move. Why the hell would you want to jump up there and all of a sudden want to argue with the referee? If it was in a situation where Jake was going up there, you know, trying to tell Lance to crush and break him, and then the ref gets distracted to tell him to get down, that would have been easier leeway instead of Jake just immediately going for the ref. Right. But again, it's a situation of show, don't tell. But in any case... Yeah. Uh, overall, in the end, Cody hits a crossroads. Archer kicks out. Uh, eventually, uh, Archer goes for his finish again. Uh, Cody fights out of it and right into another crossroads. Doesn't let go. Picks him up again. Hits a third crossroads. Gets the pin for the win. Cody is your inaugural TNT champion. 
Um, personally, I would have hoped that Archer would have walked away with it because, again, you want to build up this monster heel, this, you know, force of nature, if you will, that you want to have seen as a legitimate threat in this company. You know, you want to build him up. And what better way to build him than have him win out over the, you know, the crowd favorite, the undeniable babyface, the biggest babyface in the company being Cody. But I also think this is giving him this title as a mea culpa for saying, you know, we're not going to let you challenge for the world title. We'll give you this one instead. Not to mention, yeah. you're a babyface champion. I think we need a lot of babyface results in this uh, COVID-19 world because people want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel better about the world. So here you go. I, I, can, I, can, I can see that mindset, too, and I appreciate that. But to me, I mean, if you look at Cody, his record after the first double or nothing, and you kind of see in his big profile matches, in the, at last year's first double or nothing, he won against Dustin. Then in Fighter Fest, he had his draw against Darby Allen. And then in Fight for the Fallen, he had a profile match against the Bucks, which he lost. And then later on, he got his win back and all out against Spears. But then after, once Dynamite started, every big profile match he had, Jericho, he lost. MJF, he lost. It felt to me that even though he he, he actually did build a plan for Archer, he did a good job building up Archer because he sold everything Archer did, and he always made it feel like every time he hit up against Archer, he was going up against a brick wall that he just had to continue to keep chipping away throughout the entire match. Whenever he did a clothesline, whenever he did a forearm or a boot, Archer would stumble, but then come back and have an answer immediately. It wasn't until Cody had to really start digging deep to hit Archer where it hurts, where you see in Cody's performance how he was starting to get that win against Archer. And to me, Archer, this was just this TNT Championship run was just a way to to put an impressive run. I didn't think Archer needs this belt, to be honest. Right now, it feels like he's immediately a threat to the AEW World Championship. Well, that's the thing is like after losing to Cody, after Jake made this big proclamation, like we're coming, we're not here to take the whole pie, just your share, Cody. And then to get beat by that same guy, then what was the point? You know, that's the kind of thing that I'm getting at. Like think back WCW when Goldberg first came in, how long did he go without eating a pin? How long did he go looking like an absolute badass? I'm not saying you have to make it over a year long, but at least give him six months before he eats his first pin. You know what I mean? I completely understand that, and I do support that claim as well. I just think in this situation, though, with Archer, I mean, his his road, even though his road to the build was not as short as Cage's, but the thing with Archer, though, is that in his matches, he really had no real fight. I mean, yes, he had guys like uh, Dustin Rhodes, Colt Cabana to fight up against. Even in Dynamite, before COVID, he had some matches, though, but... This was the first time we get to see Archer in a real dragged-out fight. I mean, to make a comparison, uh, the movie Rocky Balboa, you know, there's this young champ, the, the, the champion, Mason Dixon. He has been undefeated, and it was these commentators would say he was never battle-tested. We don't know what heart he has until he faces up against Stallone's Rocky in the next exhibition match. He wins, though, yes, but it was that situation where you see Rocky takes him to the final bell, the final round, to show that... This guy is not only a fighter, but he is but he is proven to be a champion. And it's this situation with Archer that I didn't get to see that in Dynamite. Yes, I could see matches in New Japan or his old days in Impact TNA where he's had matches where he where he can go. But so far, when it comes to AW in Dynamite standards, him dominating is great. And we're gonna 
see the same thing with Brian Cage. But I need to see one match where Archer is being chipped away, where he's being taken apart, to where you can see that the next time he has a big profile match, he's going to win. That's why I believe Archer, this was just a character step with Archer, and this is something that's going to make him even more pissed off to go after Cody. Maybe they'll fight each other at Fighter Fest, or maybe this is going to be put down the line towards All Out. Again, to where Archer, hopefully with the crowd, we have Archer with the belt. Yeah. But I do agree. But I do agree, Ar- this does feel like a rollback to what Jake, Jake Roberts was saying. And maybe this was a feel-good situation that we needed. But for right now, I think with Cody... With him as champion, we can see another setup of possible matches for that belt. And I think with Cody, he is the perfect guy to use to help establish new stars and new people and new challengers to really give people a platform to show that not only are they meant for the big belt, but they can. But if they're able to give an instant classic or a great match against Cody, we can see them go up against Moxley or Brody Lee for that championship. Uh. And so I do, I do agree. I just think right now. When it comes to for the building blocks of that championship, Cody is the right uh right person to build it to be the foundation for it. And I can see what you're saying. All like I said, for my money though, when you look at it, aside from Brian Cage and MJF, when you look yes. at every other match on this card, including on the buy-in, they're all babyface wins. That is true. Yeah, it's a very babyface heavy uh. Like I said, to me, registers as, oh, shit, okay, people are upset, you know, the world's going to shit, let's give them a feel-good story. That, that's to me, is just how it's ringing, you know? I could be completely off-base, but that's just the way it kind of comes off to me. That is a very valid point, man, and as someone who is a very heavy babyface kind of guy, I understand that, too. And trust me, uh, there is this is a very strong argument to make against this pay-per-view, especially with what has happened with the wrestling community. But so far, and trust me, this was hard for me to look past that, to look at the story perspective of some of the matches. I do believe that there is something to be built down the line. We're going to get a very heel-heavy pay-per-view sooner or later. Or, hell, look, right now, the future is unknown right now, but we're just judging this pay-per-view on its merits alone. I still believe Cody was the right pick because with Cody, he can build something here. Maybe, maybe Cody, maybe, maybe Archer was the better choice. Who knows? I mean, well, I definitely have some thoughts when we get to the AEW Women's Championship. So let's just keep moving along. Yep. The next two matches I'm going to kind of get through pretty quickly. First up, we had Chris Statler, uh, Chris Statlander taking on Penelope Ford. She was originally scheduled to face Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, but unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Britt suffered an injury this past week on Dynamite in their tag match, so that didn't happen. This was all right. Um, yeah. At one point, it uh, looked like Penelope or Chris or whoever almost dropped the other one on their head, and that seemed like it was it was kind of ugly and kind uh, of scary. That poison was on a spot. Yep, uh, and I was just like, you know, these two aren't vibing. I'm glad this was a short five-and-a-half-minute match. It was all right. Statlander eventually got the win with her finisher, and... You know, booping the camera and this and that and beating on her chest. I'm like, okay, you know, she she definitely obviously deserved the win. If it if it had been the original match, I think Britt Baker would have won this just because, you know, building her up as that role model, that new heel. And it would have been one of her first high-profile main event matches, or not main event, but pay-per-view matches since her big heel turn. So 
I felt like it would have been necessary to have that. But for, again, a throw-together match last minute because of an injury, this was fine. Yeah, I thought, too, if Britt Baker wasn't injured, this match was first as well. And this is one of the matches I can also forgive because Penelope was just coming off of, like, a couple days. So I understand that she was very sluggish in the match, that there wasn't a lot of uh, chemistry when it comes to that. And, sure, I can understand. Yeah, and, yeah, with Chris Statlander getting the win, it does feel like this is just another rack-up for the baby faces. Excuse me. But for right now, I think for just for this match as a as a as a as an icebreaker after the TNT Championship, I'm okay with it. Yeah, this I mean this does deduct a couple of points away from the pay per view in total. But in all situations, I think this was still a good opportunity because Ford came, she showed up, she came to perform, she came to wrestle. Statlander did her best job to try to make Ford's moves look devastating, and that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Like like you mentioned, it was a good palate cleanser, is what it was. Yeah, the it was yeah. a good way to you know come down off of the, the the TNT title match and then transition into the rest of the show. Um, we did forget to mention that Kip Sabian did accompany Penelope oh, Ford to the ring, <laughs> selling his injuries from the ladder match, wearing rib tape and leg tape and coming in on crutches. And he he was one of the better parts of the match was his character work and his selling of the injuries and telling Chris Statlander to stay away. I, th- I thought that was great. That's all. Uh, that's one thing I definitely liked about it, the consistencies of character, and it's one thing I don't think we could have brought up. But during the uh, casino ladder match, when Orange Cassidy was being attacked, when he had his little fire back, you know, when it came with Kid Sabian falling off and then Penelope Ford showing up and Jimmy Havoc attacking him, uh-huh. we had the best friends coming out. Chuck Taylor had no shoes on because you know it, it felt because it shows like yeah he was rushing to help his best friend there. And I like those little small nuggets of consistency we saw in the pay-per-view from yeah. the wrestlers, though. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Absolutely. All right. And again, next match. Uh, Sean Spears comes out. He's scheduled to have a match with Dustin Rhodes. Dustin, yeah. uh, the commentators tell us nobody's seen Dustin all day. We don't know if he's even here. Uh, Sean is in a suit. He's not dressed to compete. Uh, says, you know, Dustin Rhodes is retired. He made the smart choice. He's not coming home. Uh, he's over. He's at home. High, or he's not coming to fight tonight, he's at home, he's ironing his tights. Uh, referee Aubrey, ring the bell. Uh, count to ten, raise my hand in victory. Dustin's music plays. All of a sudden, Kip kind of looks back and winks at the camera. Not Kip, friggin' Sean Spears looks back at the camera, starts winking. It's very, it, it very much is him alluding to that Shawn Michaels promo in Montreal a number of years ago before his match with Hogan. Just milking the whole situation. Says, nope. Uh, he's not here. Ring the bell. Come on, let's do this. Uh, Dustin's music plays again. Uh, Sean's like, no, guys, come on. Cut it off. I told you, just once. Uh, then Brandy comes out, has Spears distracted. Dustin shows up behind him. Dustin starts whooping up on him, starts stripping him down out of his suit. Takes the jacket off, takes the shirt, the shoes. Eventually gets his drawers off. And on, we don't really see this immediately, but on the front of... Sean Spears' underwear is a picture of Tully Blanchard's face. Just why? Yeah, I love that shot, too. Oh, that was hilarious. Uh, To be honest, this whole thing with the Seb, I thought... I I usually thought this wasn't going to be like this little where he's going to drag out the whole situation. I loved how he did the whole Shawn Michaels play, plays the music, and then goes, ha, 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 I got you guys. Yeah, by the way, that... 
that Shawn Michaels promo is still one of my favorite promos of the last 10 years or last 10 or 12 years. Just, he comes out there just full of cockiness and swagger and piss and vinegar, picks up the microphone in Montreal, Canada, and just without missing a beat and without even thinking, just yells out, who's your daddy, Montreal? I'm just like, that's great. That's that's like a pure situation that with Michael's resurgence, that is the closest we ever got a pure heel Shawn Michaels again. Yeah. I mean, it was a waste going up against Hogan, but even that little, like, that speck of brilliance is still fantastic to show that if Shawn Michaels had really given an opportunity to be a heel during his later run, we could have gotten some great opportunities. I mean, some say he, he, he was a heel in his fight, in his feud against Undertaker, you know, WrestleMania 25 and 6, mm-hmm. but still then... Um, but Sean Spears, though, you know, channeling that essence of brilliance into his little performance was great. And yeah, the whole thing with Tully Blanchard on his on his underwear, it was kind of funny. This felt to me that this was just Sean, this was just Sean Spears doing character work. Um, yeah. And at the same time, this was also meant to, you know, get Dustin back in. Uh, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of Dustin's new music. I liked his old music he had last year ago with, uh, it, from Double or Nothing. I didn't like the change from Dynamite, though. But still, as an opportunity to show that Dustin, he's not done yet wrestling. He's still got more to go in the tank. This was one of those examples of a feel-good match. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, like I said, it was good to see. Uh, match was over in 3 minutes and 20 seconds. Dustin hit the final reckoning. Pinch Spears in the middle of the ring. Uh, no muss, no fuss. He's far from done. All right. Next up, we had a no disqualification, no count-out match for the AEW Women's World Championship. Hikaru Shida challenging the native beast Nyla Rose. Um, I'm just gonna come right out and say it. I was n- while I I think it's cool. Well, I think the result is cool. It's not the direction I would have gone. But you know, uh, that being said, I'm not 100% mad about it. I just think it's weird. But in any okay. case, we'll get to that here in a minute. But. Overall, I love the uh, the Tifa outfit inspiration yeah, yeah. for Hikaru Shida. That was fantastic. I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan, so yeah, and um, she's a big cosplayer too. I, I follow her on Instagram. She likes to cosplay. Fantastic! Can't wait to see what other kind of pay per view gear she comes up with. So that was fun to see. But uh, these ladies are throwing just everything but the kitchen sink at each other. Kendo sticks, tables. Uh, you know, some of the blackjack and other tables that they've got outside there for the casino poker theme, chips, yeah. poker chips, all of that. Eventually, I think at one point, uh, Nyla Rose either power bombs or just throws Sheeta through a blackjack table and says, always bet on black. Um, that's a roulette <laughs> reference, uh, Nyla. You might want to check your check your Vegas betting odds. So, yeah, it was mainly just a Wesley Snipes reference. <laughs> basically. The only the only better one would have sh- she she could have brought out was um some motherfuckers are always trying to high skate uphill, <laughs> which we need to we need to reference that back. Uh, we didn't mention back during the ladder match when Joey Janela I think uh, Cage hit him with something and he just says fucking motherfucker right into the oh, damn camera. The fact that I, that's just one thing. Um, I came across look. Uh, this is just a little side tidbit. Uh, but one thing is after the match, you know, I was looking at a lot of reviews. I came across, of course, some people on Reddit going that there. They, when it came to AEW's pay-per-view, the one thing they hated was the fact that this costed like around fifty bucks, or no matter wherever you live. Yeah. Because I know in the states, fifty dollars, and in other countries, it could be around thirty. I'm looking. This is pay-per-view. 
if you're gonna get situations like where you hear the wrestlers curse on TV, I'm all for it. And at the same time, they try to make one thing Double or Nothing did best. What they were trying to do, they were trying to make every match on that card feel like a big fight, yeah. no matter how uh, like uncoordinated it was. Right. It was meant to feel important, <laughs> and that's the thing is with. With it not being in Vegas, without it having those stakes of being in that arena with a massive crowd, they had to, they had to do something. So, uh, in any case, at some point, uh, Hikaru Shida gets a hold of her kendo stick, which I believe Nyla Rose brought out to the ring with her, just as like a trophy or something. Ends up just walloping onto Nyla Rose, eventually breaking the kendo stick over Nyla's head, hits a running knee, covers, and wins the AEW Women's World Championship via pinfall. Like I said, I'm not 100% mad at, this, at the the result because I love Hikaru Shida. I think she's very talented. She's gorgeous, by the way. Um, but, I mean, just overall, she's very talented. She's great in the ring. She's got a great personality, great physicality, great just mentality for when it comes to this business. But I just felt like, you know, building up Nyla with that, you know, when I get, uh, when I get hungry, I break bitches and this and that. It's like... If you're building her up as that monster champion that's this mountain to climb, and then have her lose that title in the very first defense, it just made zero sense to me. Oh no, her first defense was against Statlander at Revolution. What's it? Okay, well, even then, and <laughs> it only her second, it only her second pay per view match with the title. You know, it just felt it just felt like too soon. I, I understand completely. It was definitely a short reign. And, you know, some people are going to argue that Sheeta winning was that was AEW trying to bring a light, a, a good feel-good moment after the death of Hanukimura. This and is that is a valid, And that is a valid argument. But for me personally, I didn't think Nyla... I mean, as much as Nyla has been growing into her character even more, I think that she didn't need the belt after she fought so early on in her career, to be honest. Mm. And... Look, just look, 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 look. This has nothing against Nyla as a wrestler. So I just thought she was still this monster heel. And she already blew through so many women in the division that it was inevitable she was going to fight Riho again. And I get that. But with her as a champion, and especially now with this whole COVID situation, there wasn't that many wrestlers available, or at least that could be around to fight Nyla. And you know what, to be honest? There could have been a lot of factors that could have involved this change. I mean, maybe Nyla's schedule wasn't uh, because she herself wasn't on Dynamite a lot, so her maybe her schedule was kind of impacting the the demands that they wanted her to be champion. But then at the same time, argument could be said of Adam Page, you know, because he had not been on Dynamite a lot either. Neither had Nick you Jackson, know? either of the Jacksons, oh, yeah. honestly. But again, in That's in true. Nick's case, at least it was understandable. He just had a friggin' kid. You know, his wife had just given birth and he was, you know, not wanting to bring any of that stuff home around a newborn. That makes sense, at least. You're right. We don't know what kind of extenuating circumstances there could be behind the scenes. You're absolutely right. But here's here's my pitch is you're right. It was inevitable. It seemed like it was inevitable, inevitable that she was going to end up fighting Riho again. Have her put Riho down again. Have Sheeta come step to her multiple times and have her say, you know, maybe on her on Sheeta's fourth attempt have her actually get the title from Nyla because because of this whole ranking system, because of, you know, all of the, you know, the wins and losses mattering and things like that. You can build a story there with Nyla going, how many times 
do you have to step to me and get put down before you realize you can't beat me? And every single time that Sheeta comes back with another match, she pulls something new out of her arsenal to try to beat Nyla and eventually does. There's a story to be told there of progression with both of their characters, not just the one. I agree, and I do like that story too. And, this, and also as well, I mean, with Sheeta, even herself, when she came to the company, when she came to the company, she herself, out of all the Joshi wrestlers, she made the transition. Like, when she came to this when she got signed to AW, she didn't just, like, she ended her ties in Japan. Like, she moved to the States fully. I yeah, mean, I believe she's living in Atlanta, right? I think so. And at the same time with Sheeta herself, you know, she's, you know, she's trying to embrace herself with the American audience. You know, she's learning English. I mean, even she's in her spe- interview. Like, I'm saying, in those, yeah, the pre, the pre. She's getting better. Yeah, yeah the pre-match package, she spoke very good English. Compared to when she was when she first arrived, how she could only maybe say a couple of words until she needed someone until she needed to speak in uh, Japanese. Right. And you know what? You could be right. Uh, and you and you know what? You are right. Maybe she didn't be in a longer journey. But at the same time, with Nyla, one thing that she, with her in her early career, she always kept making these rookie mistakes, despite her size and power. And it was those rookie mistakes that always ended up costing her. It costed her to become the first AEW Women's Champion. It costed her last year when she kept, you know, when she was just being a destructive beast, where she got suspended, and even then, when she when she regained the championship, it's her. Some some can say in the story that her arrogance of believing that she doesn't need to have a multi-time reign, that she's going to have one constant defending reign and constantly underestimate her opponents and sneak attack them just to show her dominance, ends up undoing her. And now, granted, that could have worked in a very longer story. And for me, I thought Sheila was good because hopefully we can get some more. Because this kind of situation with Cody, there's not a lot of tested challengers yet. Um, like, I know so far, we, I know in the crowd, we saw there are some people wrestlers out there, like Anna Jay. Uh, I know Allie wasn't there, but Allie's a wrestler. We also had uh, Big Swole out there as well. Possibly with Akaru Sheeta, she can be a platform to start highlighting some of the female talent. I know she and Nyla, they're going to fight again. That is guaranteed. It's going to happen. Maybe at Fighter Fest, or maybe it's going to happen at a Dynamite, depending on how the story's going to push. But I think, but but also I'm going to try to look at the bright side of, of Sheeta being the champion. Possibly with her, and the fact that she does live in the States, and maybe her availability is more open. She'll be more open now to be appearing on Dynamite, to where she can have opportunities to go against wrestlers so then we can see potential matchups and i guess to me that's where the whole covid thing really fucks us as fans over is because of the nature of what's going on we don't get to see these stories play out on television if i'd gotten to see the story of nyla on television you know dominating week in and week out until hikaru shida steps up then maybe i wouldn't feel the way that i do about this this victory for Sheeta feeling a little hollow, or the fact that her title reign doesn't feel like it meant, or, or uh, Nyla's title reign doesn't feel like it really meant anything. You know what I mean? So, yeah. again, it, it could just be my hang up, and maybe that's it. But, like I said, I to mean, me, who knows? This could motivate Nyla even more to start to go after Sheeta. Or, uh, one thing I do appreciate that, one thing I've noticed with Nyla, whenever she had that big profile matches, she always had trouble fighting up against Joshi wrestlers like Riho. And her losing to Hikaru kind of expands that notion, too, that Nyla can destroy as many as the American re- American wrestlers 
but she'll always have issues going up against Joshi wrestlers. Maybe. Well, in any case, let's go ahead and move on to our first of two main events on the evening, as they said on commentary. John Moxley defending the AEW World Championship against Mr. Brody Lee. Uh, I like the fact that they've gone with the Mr. Brody Lee as kind of like Vince's, a jab at Vince always being want, wanting to be called Mr. McMahon on television and just how they've built him as this over-the-top lampoon to a degree of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I think that's a lot of fun and it's an interesting take. Um, this match as itself, as it stands by itself, though, I was not a huge fan of. And then, honestly, I'll be dead honest, this was the match I was the least looking forward to on this entire card. I wouldn't blame you too. I mean, um, this I I, I, I went on a uh, YouTube format with a couple of wrestling fans, and we were talking about Double or Nothing, and it was led into the whole situation of big men always dominating. And I had this little notion that one of the things that made me uneasy about this match was Brody Lee, just like Lance Archer, had too much of a similar path. They dominated smaller opponents or jobbers or enhancement talent. And when they get in the, which, which elevated them to a profile match. Now, look, I'm not saying that Archer or Brody Lee don't deserve their title shots. I was just like with your situation with Sheeta. I wanted to see a storytelling format, and just like with COVID situation, it fucks us over to where we can't actually see it. And also, Brody Lee, Brody Lee debuted during the whole COVID situation. So we can really never get a grasp on how a, a whole, a big audience feels towards him. Yeah. And, until the whole shutdown is taken care of, I think Brody will get another shot, but it's not going to be as soon as it was from these past couple of Dynamites. Uh, but with Brody Lee, I do think, yes, this is, one thing I wanted to talk about with Sheeta and Nyla Rose, even though Nyla lost, they did a great job to show that she didn't need to use everything she could to take out Nyla. It, it, it wasn't going to be an immediate. It wasn't just going to be one finisher, just like what Cody did with Archer. What they, what, what Archer and Nyla's loss showed is that it's going to take everything you got to take them down. Yeah, my biggest issue, honestly, with this match is about mm, I'd say maybe four to five minutes in. These guys headed to the outside. The referee followed suit, trying to get him back in the ring, but doing absolutely nothing to do any kind of count out or really enforce them yeah. to get back in the ring. And basically it looked like they took the whole wrestling rule book, started tearing pages out of it and wiping their asses with it. Made the referee look dumb, made the wrestlers look dumb, made the entire production team look dumb for scheduling a match where it's not billed as a no disqualification, no count out match, and yet it feels exactly like the previous match. And it doesn't help, too, that the commentaries have always been so quick to jump on, like, little odd oddities from matches. Like, if a wrestler botches or if a referee messes up, they're always quick to make a counter or an explanation for it. And the fact that they had no explanations of why the referee wasn't trying to get those men back in the ring or even start trying to use a count to get Brody Lee or Moxley back in that ring was a complete, was a complete fuck up. Right. But there were a couple of scary spots in here, like when Moxley pulls the steps out, goes to backdrop or goes to put Brody Lee through one of the tables at the outside. I think it's where the ring, uh, the timekeeper was. Eventually, Brody Lee turns yeah. it around, but Moxley turns that around and backdrops him onto it. You can see where Brody's head just barely, barely escaped clipping the steps. So that was that was a huge thing. And even then, you saw Mox's feet go out from under him, and he just basically sat down on his tailbone after. 
put him putting him over like that. It's just like Jesus. Um, eventually, they keep working around, working around. Get up onto the again onto the ramp again outside the ring. The referee is doing absolutely zero to get them back in the ring. Moxley goes for a paradigm shift. They go through the damn stage. Um, that was also a scary bit too because if you yeah. saw the way they went through, Moxley's own head looked like it could have clipped something. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt like it could have been a lot, lot different and handled a lot better and made sure that these guys were actually in a safe, safe position to where they, you know, weren't really risking their health any more than they needed to by being involved in this match in the middle of a pandemic. So, but overall, like I said, it was an okay match. Eventually, Moxley crawls his way out. Uh, Brody Lee crawls his way out. He's bleeding from the top of the head. Uh, they get back in the ring. Moxley hits another paradigm shift, gets a one count out of it, hits another paradigm shift, gets a two count out of it, then eventually wraps in a rear naked choke on Brody Lee. Brody Lee passes out. Moxley retains via referee stoppage due to quote unquote submission, but he passed out. He didn't tap. And yep, they just immediately annihilated Brody Lee's character. So he got he got thrown into a title situation way too early, in my opinion. This was another instance where you needed to use everything in your arsenal to take out Brody Lee because, yeah, I can admit, yeah, I was not a fan with the rush to the title, but also with, uh, but at least in this match, they were trying to prove why Brody Lee, you know, he kind of, you know, why he, you know, he uh, used whatever, why he kind of inserted himself into this. Yeah, Brody Lee dominated most of the match. He had answers to John Moxley, and yeah, after he comes out from that whole. Yeah, he, kicks, he immediately kicks out of one, uh, you know, uh, paradigm shift, which was shocked. And the commentators, I think they sold that pretty good. And then the second paradigm shift, he kicks out of two. It definitely showed that Brody Lee, well, he's not super natural, has how the WWE wrestlers would sell, has how the WWE commentators would sell him, but it was showing that Brody Lee is a monster in his own right. He's a fighter in his own right. Like, it's going to take more than just one fish or that. Yeah, you have to nearly kill him to take him out. Hopefully this, I hope, James, I hope this doesn't kill Brody Lee moving forward. Because let's see next week on Dynamite or if he shows back up, he, he starts attacking someone like Pineapple Pete or Darby Allen, then it feels like he's going lower, even though in my mind Darby Allen is net, when you, if you ever go from a high profile match to Darby Allen, you're not, you're not degrading anything. You're just going to a different field kind of fight. The- just like how Moxley did. After he beat Kenny Omega, he fought Darby Allen, and which I thought was a great match. The only way they, to me that they can salvage this is the Dark Order now has to target Cody. Because he's, while, while Mox may be the champion, Cody is the face of AEW. Yes, that is true. So, that, that, what better way to really take over AEW than to take out the face? You know what I mean? Yeah, especially it would, it would also continue Brody Lee's message that we are the lions, that we take what we want. And Brody Lee could pretty much go with in the situation to where, yeah, he could probably stick either number 10 or even, um, oh, I forgot the other two men that came eight or, uh, It's eight or nine. Reynolds and, yeah, Reynolds and Riley or Reynolds and Silver. Uh, yeah. yeah, Alex Silver and something Reynolds. Yeah, those guys. If he could stick them towards maybe Kenny or Adam Page. No, it's Alex Reynolds and John Silver. I'm sorry. Yes, no, that's right. Yeah, Reynolds and Silver, those men, I think. Uh, 
I don't know what number they are, but yeah, what do you think can take those two men to go after maybe Cody or somebody on the roster to prove that the Dark Order under his leadership is not faltering? You know, there there could be some ways to salvage this. Yeah, but it's got to be very, very well uh, crafted and put together well before. Otherwise, like I said, it's just going to absolutely napalm whatever it is they're trying to do. But yeah. All right. And then last but certainly not least, it was the match that everybody was waiting for. Uh, the Stadium Stampede match. Matt Hardy and the Elite versus the Inner Circle. Um, to quote a Gwen Stefani song, this shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This thing was nuts. Um, I did like the references uh, when, uh, let's for example, when they were introducing uh, Santana and Ortiz, one of them was... One of their jerseys numbers was 51. The other one was 50, which I think was great because that was always a part of their entrance lyrics for LAX. That's true. You know, things yeah, like- they had so many references. I love how each the inner circle, once again, to show how in sync and how much of a family they say they are, they come out together in mat- They come out together in football jerseys. Yep, matching gear, all that good stuff. And even, uh, yeah. although Santana, or no, Ortiz and Sammy Guevara were the only two that had helmets. That's true. I actually like that, and I liked how I like Ortiz and Sandy. They're just—they have their characters nailed down. They are complete standouts of the inner circle. I mean, not could not say nothing about Jericho, but if you took Jericho away and it was just Hager, Santana, Ortiz, and Guevara, Ortiz and Guevara—those are the two characters out of the crew, and Santana would be a close second. Yeah, those those two are definitely the standouts of the group. That's for sure. And then we get the introductions of Matt Hardy and the Elite, uh, not wearing matching gear, but we do have Broken Matt, we have Matt and Nick Jackson, we have Kenny Omega. Hangman Page is introduced, but is nowhere to be found. The Bucks look confused. Kenny says, don't worry about it, he'll be here. They all rush into the center of the football field, which happens to have a wrestling ring in. Why? I mean... Like, random? That didn't shock me at all. That did not shock me. (laughs) But anyway, there's some fun back and forth. There's flips and flops and flies and all this other kind of crap going on. Super kicks and northern lights and all of this other stuff. Eventually, everybody ends up on the outside of the ring. Hangman Page comes riding in on a motherfucking horse. I mean, why not? He's here to do cowboy shit. Why the hell not? So I mean, it kind of ties back to when because the dynamite when Hangman made that. 80, like, 75-yard dash clothesline to Jake Hager. Yeah. I remember I was wa- I was coming across a YouTube video. Someone said in a podcast that if any of some friends of mine said, if Hangman had did that on a horse, it would have been much better. Personally, no, because then how are you going to control that damn horse once Hangman jumps off? Well, you got a wrangler off camera that can grab it. Yeah. But then at the same time, I still love the fact that he shows up. Because, and it's the perfect person, Sammy Guevara, as well. Yep, running down Sammy, Sammy Guevara on the horse, which was great. Starts chasing him in the back. We don't see him for quite a while, even though Sammy is able to evade. Uh, eventually, the Young Bucks uh, are fighting alongside, I think they're fighting, uh, what is it, Jericho and Hager, I think, at the time? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're over near the goalposts in one of the end zones. Matt eventually climbs a ladder up onto the goalpost, moonsaults, off the top, taking out everybody, which is great. Um, Kenny and... That was, a, that, yeah. was, that was a subversion, honestly, because I remember in the pre-package, the boss were going, like, they'll do anything, and I thought normally Nick would be the one to jump off, so the fact that it was Matt 
That was a good subversion, honestly. Yeah, Matt, Matt was the spot the monkey on this night. But in any case, um, then eventually we make our way up to the uh, lounge bar area at the top of the stadium. I think Kenny and Matt were fighting with Santana and Ortiz up that way. Eventually, Santana cool. and Ortiz uh, oh powerbomb. They powerbomb Kenny through a guardrail that's uh, put over top of these two cocktail tables. The refs are having to hold on to the tables to keep him from falling over, which yeah, I think is great. Not very scary. No. And then eventually they make their way over to this poolside area. They throw Matt Hardy in. Santana goes in after Ortiz apparently can't swim, so he's gingerly <laughs> kind of backing his way into the pool, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, his big feet of water too. Yeah, exactly. They start to they start to drown Matt Hardy, and eventually he pops up as Team Extreme Matt Hardy starts fighting back. They drown him again. All of a sudden, you get these Matt facts yeah. popping up. Which and then it's, it, it what first of all that was funny enough, but what was even funnier is that Santana and Ortiz apparently see through the fourth wall because they notice it and they're like, "What the hell is that?" And then Matt pops up. It's version one. Matt Hardy starts fighting back again. That I I popped so hard for that. That was freaking hysterical. And then. And even I think Shivani mentioned it on it was either Shivani or Excalibur who mentioned it on commentary. It's like that must be filled with waters from the lake of reincarnation. I was like, what the fuck? Oh my god. And even then when they were drowning him, you get those camera shots of Matt underwater. He's posing for the damn camera as both as both um as Team Extreme and V one. Oh my god. (laughs) Which was great. Uh then eventually, like I said, they try to drown him again. He pops back up as Broken Matt starts fighting his way out. Uh, there's a wheelchair with duct tape visible uh, sitting around. I'm like, gee, I wonder if that's getting used. Uh, eventually, uh, Matt and Ortiz make their way over to this big bell that they ring every time the Jacksonville Jaguars score a touchdown. Matt rings it. Ortiz starts convulsing randomly out of nowhere, which was hilarious. Uh, Matt puts him in the damn wheelchair, starts uh, wrapping the duct tape around him, he says, I need you to take two of these, smacks him in the face, and call me in the morning, which I thought was great. Uh, and then he just leaves. He just leaves. He lets uh, Ortiz just stew there, just convulsing in this chair of wheels as he goes after Santana. Uh, Santana tries to shove Matt into the ice machine. Matt turns it around, throws Santana in. We don't see him anymore. So that was crazy. Uh, back on the feet, or no, uh, at some point, uh, we see Hangman Page starts making his way toward the stadium bar and lounge area. Eventually, Hager starts making his way that direction as well. Uh, we make our way into the bar. Hangman Page is sitting there, minding his own business, having a whiskey. Uh, Hager pops in, has a seat next to him. Page passes him uh, a cup of whiskey of his own. They sip it down, and it's just like, yep, we're going to do this? Yeah. And they just start going at it, which is great. Kenny Omega eventually pops his way in there. Hager uh, grabs and does the whole Western shtick of laying Hangman onto the bar and sliding him across, knocking everything off. It's not near as impactful when it's just a bunch of plastic cups, but you get the idea. True. But even then, I still like the whole setup there. Like, you think that maybe uh, with Hangman, with this whole nonchalant attitude towards Matt, Nick, the Bucks, I mean, his only real allegiance is to uh, Kenny. So when you see him drinking, I even like that exchange. Like, so we're gonna fight and or anyway. Yeah. And then that brawl, 
Like, Kevin Fantastic, he's thrown on the pool table, and then, yeah, sure, it's plastic cups and maybe one plastic tequila bottle, but still, I like the effect there. Like, Kingman, he's living his cowboy shit, and he's getting every fantasy of westerns thrown in all in one brawl. Yeah, and the only thing I, I think was a detriment to this was uh, Hangman wasn't, like, baby-oiled enough or anything like that because I think he kind of got hung up on the bar with his bare chest and everything because it seemed like he was slowing down quite a bit. So yeah, that, had, that had to hurt a little bit. plastic cups were there. I think those plastic cups were meant to be water to lubricate that bar, but even then that wasn't enough. Yeah, that wasn't nearly enough. But even then, it was fun watching... Hangman do a bunch of his flippy shit all over the place on top of the pool tables and whatnot. And eventually, like I said, Kenny Omega shows up, bends over, and Paige hits a buckshot lariat off the back of Kenny Omega to Hager, knocking him over the bar. Uh, eventually, Hangman goes... Go ahead. And that was after they had busted four five bottles of the bubbly. Oh, yeah. They... Over Hager. Jesus. Yeah, I was like, how many bottles are they going to go through? Thank God they're sugar glass. In any case... Yeah. Hangman goes around to the back of the bar, pours himself a whiskey, pours Kenny a milk. They toast each other and just start drinking, and it's great. That was hilarious. Bits of Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle when they would ever do when they did their milk drink off. Yeah, just just a little bit. Back on the field, or even westerns. You know, when after a brawl, you get the two good guy fighters. They pour each other a drink and then they toast. Yep. Back on the field, Jericho and Sammy Guevara are left. Matt starts Northern Suplex, uh, Northern Lights suplexing Sammy from one end zone, and they keep cutting back to him. He's still going, goes from one end zone to the other, and he does a touchdown dance, and he gets a flag for excessive celebration. Oh, I thought, yeah. And it was an Alex Bright dance too. I know. Terry on top. I forgot about Alex Bright until he did that dance. I'm like, oh my god, getting WCW NWO uh, flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Uh, eventually, I think uh, Jericho is fighting with Nick at some point. He uh, yes. gets a two count on the field. Aubrey calls it a two. Oh uh, Jericho throws in the red challenge flag, goes to the booth. You just hear both of them arguing the entire time they're watching the replay, which is hilarious. And eventually it finishes off with the call stands. He goes, you're a shitty referee. And he just keeps going. I, that was ridiculous. Eventually, they lay Jericho out on a table. Nick does a dive from the stands. Onto Jericho through the table. He's taken out. Sammy's still laid out on the field. Wait, 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 wait. wait forget. Uh, remember, uh, Hangman shows up with a line marker and just goes up. For- oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. He's stumbling drunk, too. Yeah. He's stumbling drunk. It's so crooked. I think, was it J.R. Shivani said, I don't think that's a regulation line. And one of them goes, Are you going to go check? He goes, No. And I think I think that's the one thing that I liked about this match more than I've liked about the Firefly Funhouse, more than uh, Money in the Bank or Money on the Roof, and more than the Boneyard match Boneyard is Bank. actually having the commentary over it. I think adds so much because at least to this because this was absolute nonsense. This was Keystone Cops and you know the freaking Benny Hill show all rolled into a wrestling match with football involved, and that was another thing I kept forgetting. Um, Nick throwing the the footballs at Jericho's nuts. You remember oh those? My God. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, I do. Jeez, and then just all of this together was so great. Then eventually, the sprinklers wake Sammy Guevara up, who's still laid out on the field. He's acting like he's won because he's the only one left standing. All of a sudden, you hear you hear the rumbling. It's another golf cart. <laughs> 
And then these commentaries are just going, run, Sammy, run. And then Sammy starts running for his life. Matt and Kenny oh are God. just... Sammy, Sammy spells the hell of it. Like, he just saw the fear of God. Yeah, like he, he just saw a ghost. And, yeah, he starts running, jumps and leaps over into the stands, starts running. The elite are all giving chase. Eventually, he's fighting his way out, but then we see the drone popping up again. It's Neo 1 instead of Vanguard 1. Matt Hardy has a new drone in sleek black, which looks great. Uh, eventually, Guevara is taken out. Kenny Omega follows up after him, hits the one-winged angel off the top of the stand, uh, off the, uh, the the stands or whatever you want to call it, through this piece of wood with a crash pad underneath it. Yeah. Pins and wins. The Elite and Matt Hardy are victorious. I'm tired just from talking about this match. Uh, I could be tired too. I, just give me like a cup of OJ and I'll be back talking about this. Just this, yeah, I agree with you, man. This commentary sold the hell out of this whole thing better because if you compare Boneyard's match, the Money in the Bank match, the Firefly Funhouse match, commentary was definitely needed in this. I mean, it, it would be hard to sell the Firefly Funhouse match, but to be honest, commentary made a huge difference out of all of this. They proved that with the empty arena match with Hager and Moxley, and now with the Stadium Stampede, commentary makes the biggest difference in the world. Yep. When it is used right, when you have the right people on commentary who have the experience, they don't need a goddamn script in order to, in order to call the action. They're able to not only carry you through this match, but also share the the, the, the Looney Tunes aspect of Monty Python-esque weirdness of it, too. Because they're just as freaked out, they're just as weirded out by this as we are. And the yep. fact that they're meant to be our representation and also uh, the, our guides into wrestling, it was fantastic. I can rewatch this match five, seven times. Like a, like I'm watching a comedy from the... from uh, Oh my god, like like I'm watching 21 or 22 Jump Street, and I'll still be able to find some inside jokes or inside Easter eggs on there. It was that good. Yep. It for sure was an awesome, awesome match. A crazy cap off to a crazy night of double or nothing. Overall, I'm going to give the show, uh, if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it a B-. minus. What do you think? I, I said this to uh, a couple of guys in a chat that I gave this show an actual an A-, minus honestly. Because I did mention there were some matches I forgave because of the COVID situation, like Best Friends and Private Party and Penelope Ford and Chris Stadlander. But even then, they didn't grade the curve as much as the inconsistency of the referees did. Yeah. So, like I said, the for me, the inconsistencies with the refs... The what I would consider questionable booking decisions and all that to me just if I if I'm gonna be if I'm gonna be fair I'd give it maybe a mid level B rather than a B minus but I think a B is about as high as I could go given the issues that I had and just like I said to me it just felt like it needed a little bit more and if we had gotten that little bit more in the build up through dynamite. Without the COVID situation, this could have been way, way bigger and way, way... Uh, it could have been far more elevated than it was. But overall, I still enjoyed it. I, th- I still thought it was a great event. I'm glad to see AEW still thriving in this whole you know, post-COVID world as things are finally starting to get back to normal. Maybe they can start finally going on the road again, letting in maybe a smattering of crowd here or there. You know, Maybe restrict them to some of the upper levels or like, uh, like hot potato certain sections to... 
you know, keep the social distancing going to be responsible about it. Or, you know, just requiring them to wear PPE, protective masks and gloves when they come in or something. But Well, they have been tested. I have heard rumor I have heard reports that Tony Khan and some of the execs have been testing some of the wrestlers to see if they are positive with the COVID strain. So because you saw in the crowd there were some wrestlers with masks or some without masks who were standing more than we were staying less than six feet apart from each other. Right. As you saw. And like I said, that could have been that could have been a legitimate thing, or it could have just been an aesthetic thing. They could have just wanted to play up. It's like, yeah, we're still in the middle of this. Don't worry, even though they're not this far apart, they've got this going for them. So who knows? Yeah, and I definitely agree. And uh, as much as some people want to uh, look, I understand there are definitely valid criticisms towards the booking. I can't argue that, especially with the short storytelling that we had with Brody Lee and Moxley, with Sheeta and Nyla. And even with a few other matches, but so far as an entertaining pay-per-view, and I'm not speaking as a heavy favorite babyface kind of guy, but I'm just saying when it comes with just the enjoyment I got from this, my grade still stands, and I would definitely rewatch this pay-per-view, like maybe tomorrow or even later today. Oh yeah, I mean just for the Stadium Stampede match alone, that opening ladder match, and like I said, as much as much shit as I gave the the result to Cody versus. Uh, uh, Cody versus Archer, or even for Sheeta versus Nyla, they were both entertaining matches. So I'll probably go back and watch it at least yeah. two more times. And like I said, just for replay value alone, that Stadium Stampede match, I could watch that ten or twelve times over. Oh, without a doubt, like you can do play-by-play commentaries of this whole damn thing. Yep. But in any case, I am going to call it quits for today. This has been a great, great conversation. It's been so good to have you back on the show, man. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, honestly, whenever there's an opportunity to talk with wrestling with passionate fans, and that that we are logical and reasonable to talk about, that we that we clearly see the differences here. And look, it was clear we both had different opinions of this whole thing, but ultimately we're fans. We know exactly at the end of this whole day, plans can change. I mean, hell, who knows? Maybe at, maybe a couple of weeks now, Firefest. Nyla Rose can get that chip, will get a shot at the championship, and she'll win it back again. Who knows? Maybe Maybe they'll hot potato it for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, I still believe that with Sheeta, we still have a great opportunity to set up a a bigger, badder, and meaner Nyla Rose, or give an opportunity to see Sheeta give some great. Because I think Sheeta did a great job with Nyla, and I think she can do the same thing against other wrestlers like Statlander or Ford. Hopefully, Britt is not out. For a long time, maybe we'll find out on Dynamite how long she's gonna be out. So when she does come back, we're gonna get Britt Baker might be the one to get that belt. Yeah, and they did say that Britt would be on Dynamite this week to address her situation and give us a timetable for when she'd be coming back. So, but in any case, that is gonna wrap it up for us here today, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again on the Wrestling Rages and Ramblings podcast. We've rambled, we've raged. It's been a hot minute, but at the end of the day, we're all still wrestling fans, and at the end of the day. That's what matters. So from myself, James Shimo, and my associate, Mr. Ryan Payne, we wish you a happy Memorial Day. Have a great, great week. Take care of yourselves. Be kind to one another. And overall, just remember, we can all come together in the world of professional wrestling, whether for good or for ill, whether we love it or we hate it. Wrestling is what unites us. Let's not self-divide each other. All right. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you next time.